Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma samputasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma samputasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma samputasa. Bhutang dhammang sankhang namasami. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to speak here today. Very beautiful place and just was very powerful um, uh, request you, you made before. Not quite sure if I can live up to it, but I, I try. I brought a little quote from Suzuki Roshi, who is uh, the founding teacher of your lineage, I've heard. And I thought that then I can be, help me to get started. And he says, everything is already perfect, but there's a lot of room for improvement. And I always found it a very good reflection, because, you know, at least that's how we call it in, in the, Theravada school where I'm trained in and I've also heard in the Tibetan school speaking about the middle way, the middle path between the two extremes and on one hand, you know, ultimately everything is already perfect as it is but then conventionally we tend to not be able to connect with that perfection quite frequently, you know, when we are thrown about by the afflictive emotions and... Uh, when we have you know, strong energies moving through our body and our mind, it's sometimes quite difficult to connect with the innate perfection of everything just as it is. And you know that's because of the power of that throwing around. Uh, I have chosen you know, to live this life because I felt I really need a, a strong support to be able to hold steady in the midst of the challenges, you know, when uh, greed, hatred and delusion are, are triggered by, you know, different experiences and, and people, relationships we meet in the world. And all of this can be included into practice, but to remember it when we are triggered, that's is another thing. And... You know, the whole, the whole life we can call an opportunity for practice, but we tend to forget it, especially when it would be actually a very good thing to remember it, we, we tend to not remember. And I'm feeling, you know, in this day and age which we are living in today, there is a lot of um, uncertainty, I mean, there always is uncertainty, but it's never so much into your face as it is nowadays with the whole uh, issue of, of climate change. And I feel that this time right now where we actually, we, we could, you know, come to the tipping point of what this planet can, can cope with any moment. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's, it's just something which is on the cards and it can, you know, it can hit us any moment. 
So I think, you know, to have a strong practice has never been more important as it is right now because there's really nowhere to go anymore now. We can only wake up. That's the only place to go. It's just, you know, within rather than without because without there is, is not much space left and a lot has been so much uh, impacted, you know, by our greed, hatred and delusion that... You know, it's, it's looking pretty sad. But even, you know, even that huge um, perspective of, of we maybe, you know, wiping ourselves off the planet, even that, you know, can be an opportunity for practice if we are having, you know, enough uh, wisdom and compassion to open up to it and to not see it as something which is outside of of the practice. But I think it's it's such a big issue that I think there's lots of people still, you know, who are who don't even wanna hear about it and a lot of denial and a lot of um, wrong information and is coming down to us through the media and to really sort that out we really have to take an interest in, in what's happening and in terms of you know of uh, of elements you know which which are together producing mind states for us it's it's not very different from other things it's just the the hugeness of it is just unprecedented. And, you know, and together as, as a group like here today, you know, to sit in that truth is, can be very powerful and very empowering because you know, we, are, we are not alone in this, we are all together in this. And you know, once we really uh, take that to heart, I feel you know, a new window of opportunity opens up because you know, the togetherness, this, this, um, you know, this uh, third refuge of Sangha is, is a very powerful agent for, for transformation and a very powerful support. People like you are here in this, in this group who have a, a regular practice. We're very fortunate really in this time now because you have something to fall back onto and you have something to make sense out of the whole situation because it's it's you know this uh, environmental crisis is something which we have been co-creating with nature because we have been uh, you know not really understanding how nature works so we have been you know doing things for quite a long time which which have been producing a an effect we really haven't intended and now we seem to wake up to it as a you know as, as a society more and more and people who tend to have a spiritual practice are quicker you know in, in, in picking things up because there is a more capacity for sensitivity there generally because you know you have been meditating for some time and you know, having a certain understanding about how the mind works and generally less less afraid of feeling. 
and that's a very good beginning, you know, because we can connect to life only through feeling. And if we cut ourselves off from feeling, we cut ourselves off from life. And that's one of the main issues, that I think, you know, which has brought us to this environmental crisis, um, you know, a, a culture which is uh, quite cynical about feeling, you know, and, and cynical about the feminine aspect, which is, you know, present in all genders, but the feminine aspect which is open to feeling and which is uh, open to hold uh, chaos and creativity, which has been, you know, put into the second place now for hundreds of years because of the way how evolution is going. There's nobody to blame. It's just like how it is. You know, we are waking up to a time where we need that capacity very much, you know, to be able to open to chaos and admit, you know, defeat, so to say. We can't control nature because we are part of nature. But we can get to know her and we can make, you know, we can make friends. And a practice like this is, is a, is a technology, we can say, you know, how we can make friends with her, with the laws of nature, by, by just sitting down in this way, how you're doing it, and, and listening, you know, listening what, what she has to say, what she has to tell us about how our minds work, how our bodies work, and, and through that, you know, we gain uh, increasing clarity, not by, you know, kind of storing up more information or more knowledge, but actually by tearing away veils of delusion, you know, kind of certain assumptions we have about the way things work, which have turned out to be utterly misguided in some ways, you know, because we have been polluting so much. That wasn't our intention. We just wanted to, as a human species, we wanted to originally, you know, have more things so that everybody can have their share. But what turns out is that we end up with a very polluted planet and, you know, the resources are just, like for a very small a group of people, there is all kind of concentrated there. And there's so, so many people who don't have nothing or have very little. So it has not worked out, you know, our way of going about things because we have, we are quite ignorant, you know, not paying attention to the way things really work. And now we have this huge wake-up call because we have come, you know, almost to the limit of what is, what can be done. Now we have to change our ways because we are forced to. And that's probably a good thing because otherwise we wouldn't. So, just bearing this in mind as, a, as an incentive, you know, for practice can be very sobering, I think. And also, you know, trusting that there's more, there's more there in the depths of our connection to, to life, there's guidance there. We just need to have, you know, the ears or the hearts, rather, to listen to this guidance. And, you know, and someone, you know, who is really connected to the guidance of life is someone I would call a wise being. 
and they might have studied a lot, but they might not have actually, because it's not like accumulated knowledge from the books, you know, like difficult suttas or difficult, uh, you know, instructions which we can remember. But it's more like wisdom is 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 not a body of knowledge, but wisdom is a capacity, you know, to be with the way things are without you know, putting concepts on top of it and then allow oneself to be informed by that process which we call nature without putting any rails in between it. And the word prajna you know, is, is a Sanskrit word and has a nya means knowledge and pra means, is a, is a verb, gives it a very dynamic nuance and pra means actually before. So, the word wisdom means actually before knowledge. So this is, you know, if, if we look at something and before we start thinking about it, that moment before the mind starts thinking, that's when there's wisdom. Because then we are directly with the way things are without kind of putting some past story on top of it. And that's the moment, you know, when we really are in contact, in relationship with something in its suchness. And this is, you know, how we can increase wisdom. If we have more moments of that being with in suchness, this is when wisdom is growing and this is when wisdom is, you know, kind of becoming more permeating our being. And that's then something, you know, which is not something we have stored up in the, somewhere in the brain or so, but it's, it's, it becomes part of our being and it is with us wherever we go. So then something hits us, you know, some some trigger comes. We don't have to think about, oh, Buddha said everything is impermanent, but we, we are knowing it. We are knowing it. And then, you know, it, we, we, don't, we don't have so much surface for the trigger to hit us. Because we, this wisdom, you know, has, uh, has an effect on us. We become very... Uh, Fluent, or you know, we are, we can flow. We don't, we don't, we are not rigid any longer. We can just, we can just be with the way things are. That doesn't mean you know we become like a victim of the situation, but we are just, we are part of it because we are realizing more and more that we are part of nature. We are not separate from her. We are part of this whole process of life and we don't have to you know fall for extremes as I said before you know the middle way between everything is perfect and everything is terrible and everything is just out you know to get me basically those two extremes we, we just tend to you know fluctuate between those two and you know some people who are called bipolar they are you know, they have gone so far that they, you know, they can't, they can't function anymore because the, the pendulum swings so extreme that, that we, we consider them to be, you know, ill. And we all have that illness to a certain extent, but we manage, you know, to, to kind of pull it off, you know. And, and this kind of a practice which we are doing, is bringing you know this pendulum to ever lesser swings because we are we are through 
having insight in the way things work. You know, we are less and less, we have less and less rigidity, so there's less and less surface, you know, to be swung. And, you know, equilibrium, uh, equanimity is one of the four uh, Brahma-viharas, the four divine abidings, you know, which... Which is, is a result of wisdom, and at the same time also it's a ground in which wisdom can grow. And I personally, when I started my practice, when I heard the first time about the, the middle way, that really um, caught my attention very much, and I felt very, very attracted to the teaching, because that's something I'd never considered before. Because I always, you know, like most Diana people, we feel attracted to extremes, you know. And we think, you know, if we're standing out in some way extreme, that is a good thing. And and then, you know, over the years, if we keep going that way, we, we tend to get exhausted at one point. And then we feel like, oh, maybe um, it would be interesting, you know, to have a life which is a little bit less um, challenging. And at that point, this is when I heard, you know, when I was ripe to, to hear a teaching and, and really consider it. And, and when I heard this about the middle way, it's, it sounded so uh, healing to me, that there's a possibility here, you know, to, to have somewhere to observe everything from. The founder of the lineage I have been trained in, uh, in the forest tradition, he was a Thai master. His name is Ajahn Chah. He's passed away in the 90s. And, you know, he would, if people would ask him questions, he would say something to one person and then something completely different to another person. And then people were kind of saying, what kind of a teacher is this, you know? He says this to you and this to me. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. And he would say, you know, if somebody goes too far to the right, he would say, go to the left. And if somebody goes too far to the left, he'd say, go to the right. And in terms of, you know, if, if people veer too much off on one side of the extremes, just telling them, coming to the middle, this is, you know, the ground from which we can observe how life works. And through this observation, we can grow in wisdom and compassion. And it's not like a going up, 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 but it's like a going down, down, down into the depths of the process of life and allowing the process you know to reveal itself to us and the only you know foremost quality we need to develop for that is is the willingness to be with uh, feeling really which is not an easy thing to do And, you know, living these kind of very privileged lives, which we live in, in a Western society with, with lots of uh, props, you know, we are especially susceptible to have little tolerance for unpleasant feeling because we just press a button here and, you know, press a button there and make it hotter and colder and this and that. We, we are very low tolerance, you know. We know in these times of impending big, big changes, we, we need to kind of amp up our tolerance for, for lots of uh, 
things we haven't been really thinking about a lot. Because we always like, uh, we, are, we have all been schooled, I think, you know, in, in, a, in a culture which thinks there's endless growth, there's endless kind of making it all better, making it all more. But we have really <coughs> come to a point now that it, it's very, it's obvious, it's not going to go that way. This is where we can, you know, consider ourselves very fortunate to have a practice and have a teaching which has all of the information we need to strengthen our capacity to, you know, to be with the way things are and learning from it. And then, you know, that equilibrium, this equanimity, which is the result of it, the wisdom and the compassion, and then, you know, bring it into our lives and share it with others. So it's a, it's a great privilege to be able to do that. A precious human life and uh, that coinciding with meeting a teaching like, like this is, is considered very fortunate, so... We cannot take uh, solace from that. Whatever is going to happen next, we at least you know we have uh, a framework within which we can hold all of that. I've recently read a very beautiful um, analogy about our situation, and it's it's um, it's called the butterfly story. I'd like to share with you. And you know, at the beginning, a butterfly is is a caterpillar. And then at one point in the existence, that caterpillar starts to overeat and it, it eats like about 300 times its body weight in a day. So it starts to horrendously over-consume. There's some kind of comparison there with the, our culture also. You know, and then the butterfly, uh, that caterpillar over-consumes until it can't move anymore. It becomes very sluggish and, and, um, very, very heavy, and then it hangs itself from a, a tree or somewhere and starts to, then the skin starts to kind of harden and it becomes what's called a chrysalis. And then the body of the caterpillar is inside the chrysalis and, and starts to dissolve into, into a soup. And then it was, for a long time, it wasn't clear, you know, how one creature, uh, how a caterpillar can change into a butterfly. But then scientists found out that actually during the lifetime of the caterpillar, there are some so-called imaginary cells in the system of the caterpillar already built in. And then in the time of crisis, those imaginary cells start to wake up. And then they are through, through this, the soup of the dissolved caterpillar, those imaginary cells multiply. And then at one point, you know, there's the tipping point, and then the imaginary cells are taking over, and then a completely new creature, a butterfly, is constellated, and then at one point, you know, slips out of the chrysalis and flies off. You know, that's a kind of a good analogy about if one worldview is kind of breaking down. There's always some people who are those imaginary cells, you know, and they, ex they coexist together with the old system for some time. 
and then at one point, you know, the tipping points had seen and then they start to multiply very quickly and link up with each other and then the new worldview, the, the butterfly, is, is born. And I've recently heard, you know, for a tipping point to come, it needs only uh, 7% of the population for the tipping point. And then there's no more return. So I find it very encouraging. You know, it's not so many people, actually. And we could all be, you know, we could all be those imaginary cells. And with the practice we have, you know, we have all of the tools to really, you know, strengthen ourselves so that we can <coughs> hold that friction, you know, which which a change of, of worldview inevitably, you know, brings to us. And also, you know, the, the capacity to really look at what's happening because if you don't really fully look at it, the, the change won't, won't be born. It, it comes from really seeing what's going on and then, you know, the change is not something we have to force ourselves, but we just have to take in what's happening and then the change is actually something which is born out of seeing clearly. But in order to see clearly, we have to look, you know, and long enough. And we don't have to kind of force ourselves, but to just see, you know, looking at uh, some information and how quickly, you know, we just have to do something else. Uh, and just, you know, even doing it if it needs to be done, but just noticing it, you know. And that's all part of the process, to just really notice how we busy ourselves with, with things which are maybe not so important, you know. See if there's a certain element of, uh, you know, wanting to distract ourselves because we, you know, we don't know what to do and we think because we don't know what to do, we shouldn't look, but it's not the way how the Buddha has been realizing enlightenment, you know. But another very beautiful analogy, and you know, when the Buddha was sitting under the Bodhi tree in the night of his enlightenment, there were all of those different, you know, personifications of Mara coming to him and, you know, hurdling weapons against him and sending him beautiful women and all of that. And he just decided to, to just sit there and not move. And then all of those assaults, those weapons, they've turned, they turned into flowers. They turned into blessings because they were the soil for wisdom and compassion to grow out of, you know. If there's no experiences, there's no process, there's no learning. So we need those. They are the soil for those flowers, you know, to, to grow. And whatever, you know, whatever soil is there, that's what we have to work with. We don't have a choice, you know, about saying, oh, I want, I want a different experience. We don't have a choice here. But, but we have total choice, you know, to really make the most out of it in terms of practice. This is where we have a choice. And then, you know, if the internal changes, the external will change as well. And, and the climate crisis today is just like a reflection of the collective internal doesn't look very nice. But, you know, if we do our bit, we can contribute for that shift. And that's what I'd like to do, do the best of my abilities. And sometimes I also, 
just go to sleep, but I, I just try to at least be aware of it, you know, that sometimes I just need to turn away from it and rest. That's okay too. So there's not much time left, but if anybody would like to, to comment or, or ask a question, please. Yes, please. Uh, thank you for your time. <clears throat> thank you. I've been thinking quite a lot about emotion and feeling myself these days, um, writing about it also. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> there are different words in English, and I wonder if you think it's important uh, to make any distinctions or whether it's okay just to, well, sometimes you'll want to say emotion, sometimes feeling. Mm-hmm. And then I also wonder if you can expand just a little more uh, on prajna as feeling, as the main way to interconnect or to realize our interconnection with other beings and things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, just, just open it up a little, yes. a little more about that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, generally how I understand it, emotion, feeling is a part of emotion. So, you know, for example, a feeling arises and then we maybe not, not aware enough, you know, not mindful enough, so we start thinking about it. And then it becomes an emotion, you know, it starts with a feeling and then, you know, we, we, we put the thinking into it and then, you know, it becomes a whole mix. Or sometimes it can be just, you know, thinking something and then a feeling arises. So feeling is more like, you know, there's neutral feeling, pleasant feeling and unpleasant feeling. Neutral feeling we are mostly not aware of, but we are very aware of unpleasant feeling and pleasant feeling. So, you know, emotion is much more than, than just feeling. So I think, you know, for example, Anger, jealousy, and, 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 you know, infatuation, all of that, that's, that's emotions, and feeling is just a part of it. So the emotions, you know, which are built up around a pleasant feeling, we want more of those, isn't it? But what they all have, they have a, they have a quite deluding quality, because if we experience a certain, you know, situation or relationship through that veil of the emotions, then we, we don't really experience what's there, but it can be very colored, isn't it? Very selective. We pick up certain clues, but we don't see others, and then we, we just go down that road, so to say, you know, and maybe you know, complicate our lives. And, and in terms of, you know, the, what, what I was saying about prajna or panya in, in the Pali language, yes, you know, that was for me a very surprising to hear, you know, that panya or, or prajna, it's not a body of knowledge, but it's the capacity, you know, to be with the suchness, to be with the way things are. And, and, and any moment, you know, we can be fully with experience as it is without kind of putting something on top of it. We actually, we are collecting information about the way things truly are, you know, and then that's what we do in the formal meditation first, but then ideally we bring that in our daily lives. And then 
you know, if, if a certain amount of, of information is, is collected, at one point it, it, it shifts into an insight, you know, and then suddenly you have, you, you suddenly see into the depths of something, or you see the connections of something, you know, and then you have an insight, and if that's a really deep insight, it, it can be, I think, I don't know, you call that, uh, Satori or something in, in, in the Zen, um, Chagan. You know, then it becomes something which is a permanent change, you know, of, of, uh, of the consciousness of that being. You know, that there might be certain, we call it in the Pali language, you know, we have this, what's called fetters, you know, which, which bind us to the wheel of becoming, of being, you know, becoming in ignorance again and again. And then if there are certain insights which are, which are very deep, then some of those fetters are cut off permanently, you know. And then these these kind of delusions they won't be produced any longer. And then there's there's more capacity, you know, to be with the way things are if if some of those delusions fall away permanently. And and I don't know if you have observed it in your own life, but you know what what is the most difficult uh, element to be with is is a very strong feelings, you know. And in the what's called the dependent origination, you know, it's it's a feeling where 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 that where that wheel of becoming can be stopped, you know. When feeling comes becomes uh, grasping attaching and grasping this is where if we wake up to it this is when we can step out but then if we don't let go you know then we become it and then we be born and then we or age sickness and death and we are already down the drain so it's it's at the at the feeling you know where where we can step out feeling and attaching if we can wake up to that you know at the moment when the feeling Comes, but this is a very fast process. When the feeling comes in, when the attaching or the pushing, when that, you know, is the reaction, the nature reaction, so to say, if we notice it with mindfulness, there we, we can step out, you know. But if we don't step out there, then we are just already, we are already becoming it. We are already the angry one who has been saying those things, you know. But if it, if we notice, you know, the contraction in the body, the heat coming up, the thoughts, if we notice it in the dead moment, we can still step out, you know. I think it's now 11 o'clock, that's when you usually stop, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.